the feedback I got afterwards was that they, they didn't use these words, but basically what they told me afterwards was, we needed you to be you, but you were somebody else. Like That is the very worst feeling. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Allison Fallon. And on today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I interview Mike Pacchione, who, full disclosure, is not only a friend of mine, but also my personal speaking coach. Many of you might not know this, but when I first started writing books back in 2010, the thought of getting on a stage to say anything, let alone to tell the kind of vulnerable stories I tell now, felt like a fate next to death. In fact, I resonated with the national statistic I read once that said, public speaking is this country's number one fear. By the way, number two is death. (laughs) Mike has been one of the key elements in helping me not only overcome that fear, but also in helping me find my voice as a public speaker. I say all that to say that if public speaking terrifies you and you don't ever see yourself standing on a stage, I still want you to listen to today's episode. You're going to get a lot out of it. Mike is not only a speaker himself, but he's also a storytelling coach who addresses the obstacles we all face of being ourselves in life, on the stage, and on the page. He has regularly said to me in our work together, would you say that in real life? then don't say that from the stage. And it's a reminder to me how often we forget to be authentic and vulnerable, even when we know from experience that this is the quickest way to happiness and success. In today's episode, we talk about the challenge of being yourself. Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) We talk about how the way your friends describe you can give you some insight about yourself. We talk about a new way to see anxiety and stage fright. We talk about what to leave in and what to keep out when you're storytelling, and we talk about the difference of storytelling in speaking versus writing. Mike is insightful, a gifted public speaker, obviously, and he's way funnier than me, so you're going to love this. You're going to laugh a lot. Let's dive right in. Hey, hey, Mike. Hey, Allie. Great to be here with you today. Thanks so much for joining us. I love being where Allie Fallon is, even if it's thousands of miles away. (laughs) How are things up in Portland, Oregon? Oh, this is this is the day when you're like, hey, I used to live in Portland. Like, this is the day you don't think of. I mean, this is Drurysville. Like, my backyard has legit puddles in it, which we've never had before. But Portland's still a great town. I like living here, and. This is what like makes it green and great the rest of the year. It's true. <laughs> oh man, it's great though. Well, I'm so excited to chat with you today. For context for our listeners, we've been connected actually for a long time through yep. the StoryBrand crew and that community and mutual friends and all that kind of stuff. But I love the work you do because it's really, really similar to the work that I do, except mm-hmm. for one key difference, which is that you're helping people 
find their voice through speaking, whereas I'm helping people find their voice through the written word. And what's great about this is there's so many overlaps and commonalities, and I bet you there are also some really key differences. So I'm excited to hear from you what you think about that. Big time. Yeah. I'll start with the same question that I ask everyone at the beginning of an interview, which is what does it mean for you to find your voice? Hmm. So I think, I think finding your voice is like one of the most powerful things you can do. And I think in life, I think a lot of the times when we have trouble or when we can't find our voice. So like what jumps to mind for me with that, I dated for, I mean, I wasn't like 50 when I got married, but I dated a little (laughs) longer than average. And I remember one particular time I was across the table from a friend and, you know, he gave me the advice that. 7,000 people had given me, which is like, you know, be yourself. Be yourself. What what does that mean? I have eight different selves. Like, who do you want me to be? Um, And I think, I think metaphorically, a lot of times in life, we feel that. And I'm talking about professionally or at home. We feel that where we're like, find your voice, but I don't know who I am. Yeah. But when you do find it, it is the best. It's one of the most powerful things. Because finding your voice is finding you. It's finding your, your purpose. It's finding why we're here. So when I say that, and you know, like I help people with presentations, so it sounds like I'm talking about liberating the slaves or something that's on that level, but it doesn't have to be that. It's just, it's just finding the way where you can speak that puts you and your audience at ease. So, oh, that's a great way. Yeah, so on stage, voice turns into your style, your vibe. Mm. But it's really like the way that you can speak that puts both yourself and your audience at ease. So like this is where you and I would be pretty different, I think. Okay, say more. Well, like on stage, what's your what do you feel like your if we were if I were throwing that question at you and it was like find your speaking voice, what's Allie's speaking voice? Well, this is such an interesting question because you and I have talked a little bit about this because you've helped me with a keynote presentation. But yeah, like what would characterize me? Like if someone were to sit in an audience and listen to me give a presentation on stage afterwards, they'd probably say something like, she was really sincere. They might use that word. She was thoughtful. Mm. She was vulnerable. and, And she was kind. Yeah. You know, they're probably not going to say that was the funniest thing I've ever heard (laughs) or um, lighthearted would not be the word that people would use about my speaking voice. So, yeah. What do you think people would say about you after you get off? Yeah. See, that's that's so interesting because I feel like lighthearted is exactly what they would say about me. (laughs) I ran trainings for seven years for this company, Duarte, in the Bay Area. And there were several of us who ran those trainings and we all had the same deck, but it was like a way different experience depending on who you were. Yeah. And for me, like I would, I would always get these people who came up to me at the end of the day and they were like, Oh, I didn't know you could present like that. Mm. Like, like they didn't know that they had permission to be lighthearted about content that mattered. So good. Right. Like, so it seemed like if the content was really serious, you had to be dead serious in delivering it. It feels like there's a metaphor there too for just finding your voice in your life that we get this idea in our head that we have to do this a certain way. Yeah. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't think it's like any one person specifically trying to oppress us, but there's like this, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) a feeling 
I'm just picturing that moment you graduate from college and you, the world is your oyster and, and then, and you're like, well, I think I have to, um, you know, like do it I, or even going to college. Like I have to do it totally. this way. I've got to go to college. I got to get a degree. I got to get a job. I got to get a house, a white picket fence, like all the things that we're told are markers of success and progress in life. And, and then, you know, there's that nagging feeling, okay, well, this isn't really me. It's not really how I want to be in the world. Yep. And that's the, the worst feeling is when you did something and you, at the end of it, you're like, oh, that wasn't me. And sometimes that's like, I mean, I can remember one distinct thing where I failed because I was trying to be someone else. And th- this was just the very worst feeling. The feedback I got afterwards was that they, they didn't use these words, but basically what they told me afterwards was, we needed you to be you, hmm. but you were somebody else. Like that is yeah. the very worst feeling. So how do you how do you teach people to find that thing? One thing I think you said a minute ago that is actually a really important point, and I haven't heard anyone articulate it this way. Something about how it's when you find it, you know you have it, but when you don't have it, you feel like you're really in the dark. Do you know what I'm saying? Like both. Yeah. If we're talking about a presentation, speaking in front of people, or if we're talking about writing a book or, or if we're talking about, you know, just in general in life, finding our voice or finding our way, there's, there's a strong sense when you find it, you know, you've found it, but when you haven't found it, it's kind of, you feel like you're feeling around in the dark a little mm. bit and you're like, what do you mean be myself? So how do you, what's the process for helping someone find their voice on stage? Mm. Yeah, it's hard. Okay, so if I ask you, like, why do you not feel comfortable on stage? It puts this pressure on you, and it's weird. So what I try to do instead is more find out, like, think of friends who really know you. So not peripheral, but an actual, legit, like, Allie could call it, well, nobody answers their phone at 3 in the morning anymore, but theoretically, Allie could call it 3 in the morning, right? (laughs) Like, that person. Like, how would they, how are they describing Allie? And that's that's a good starting point. The thing that I'm always fighting off is turning people into me. But like the world doesn't need a bunch of me's presenting. Like a little yeah. bit of me is good, but there's a reason why we're different people, you know? And there was this guy that yeah. I was this is back when I was pretty much first starting and he was super smart and but like something about the way that he was presenting just didn't work for me and I realized it was cuz I was trying to turn him into me. Because when I asked him that question, I'm like, well, you know, your best friends, how would they mm. describe you? And one of the first things he said was know-it-all. Ah. And I was like, oh. Because I, like, Allie, you know me. I will do whatever I can to not know-it-all. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, know-it-all. I'm like, oh. So now as a presenter, it's a little bit risky to be the know-it-all because you have to actually be the smartest person in the room yeah. or else, you, you know, you really can – distance yourself from the audience but we found a way me and him to and I never told him what I was doing but we found a way to make it where it was more uh Corbett the know-it-all than Mm. Corbett the mic clone that's such a great strategy to think about yourself from someone else's perspective because somehow it simplifies this idea that our voice or our true self has to be this ethereal thing that's impossible to describe when the truth is the people who know us the best and who are the closest to us, they at least have 
a finger on the pulse of who is this person? How would I, how would I describe them? You know, if I was introducing them to somebody else. Yeah. This is what I always tell people. Like a presentation should feel like a friend is on stage Mm -hmm. delivering this to you. Like that's how it should feel. Yeah. I mean, we talk about that with writing too. It's, you know, I always say, write it like a love letter, write it like you're writing it to the closest person in your life. Yeah. There's something about that that infuses it with passion and energy that makes it interesting. Totally. Versus delivering a canned, I mean, this is what you're fighting against, right? Is you're helping people not deliver these canned, boring keynote presentations where they're reading off of the screen. And reading like what someone else wrote for them. Yeah. And that's yeah. what, <laughs> yeah. what I will do a lot for people is I'll say, okay, here's how I would say this part. You need to say it the way that you say it. So mm-hmm. then they, they see where we're trying to go, but it's still theirs because it needs to be theirs. It needs to be sure. theirs. I mean, you can see, like, you know, when politicians hit a point where they need a speechwriter and all of a sudden their personality goes away <laughs> and they've got someone else writing for them and they feel more robotic. Like that's what we're fighting all mm-hmm. the time. Yep. In terms of uncovering that thing that makes you uniquely you, what do you find most presenters run into that's blocking them from uncovering that the more interesting true version of mm. them? I think what you mentioned for sure, the feeling, the feeling of this nameless person declaring that it should be a certain way. Like that's there for sure. I trained so many people in the corporate world where I was like, well, yeah, you know, your audience wants to feel a little of your personality. And, and the, the resistance was always like, no, no, no. There's an expectation that you do it a certain way. I'm like, okay. Uh, I'm like, so has anyone ever said that? No. So I'm like, so how do you know there's that expectation? Like, because that's how everybody does it. I'm like, oh, I see. So this is actually, this is like funny. I, I always equate it to this. So I went, uh, I'm not a good dancer. I feel overwhelmed by dancing. Um, it, I can't tell you how many times like Jess and I haven't done this, thankfully, but like old girlfriends wanted to go ballroom dancing. And I'm like, this is a nightmare. Like, you have to remember like <laughs> step one, step two, step three. Like this is so bad. This is like one of the worst things you can do for me. Some years ago, I had friends who were going country line dancing in Portland. I don't remember why, but I said that I would go. And it's like, oh, I actually remember exactly why. Cause they said you didn't have to dance. Like Mike, you can just stay at the bar. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> Put on cowboy boots and stay at the bar. That I can handle. And then, but this was part of their scheme the whole time was, no, 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 Mike, you should come out here. You should come out here. So then I'm out there. They put on this Alan Jackson song. There are like 80 people in line. I'm behind my friend, mm-hmm. Leisha, who is like super duper smart. She like knows the Bible inside and out. She can speak Greek, like valedictorian, da, da, da. So I figure, okay. I'm just going to copy what Leisha does. (laughs) And like in most parts of life, that would have been great. But Leisha was not good at country line dancing. (laughs) And I actually got called out of line for how bad I was doing. So why am I bringing this up? Because I think what most of us do, certainly in speeches and in a lot of things in life, is we just follow Leisha. We follow the person who's in front of us because that feels safer than having to stake any sort of claim for yourself. Yeah. So I took a long time to make that point, but I think one of those places where people get stuck is the the nameless expectations. So there's that for sure. Sure. I think another one is trying to make it perfect. Huge. Yeah. And you must see that worse than me. Like with me, at least 
they have to get on stage at some point, but when someone's writing a book, they can just spiral there forever, right? Totally. Well, yeah, and people stall out and you know, this is why writers get a bad rap for never turning in their manuscripts or turning in their manuscripts really late yeah. is you get stuck editing and fixing and fixing and fixing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so one of the things that I try to tell people to do is like, okay, draft number one, this just needs to be a C minus. Do not try to make it perfect. And usually just getting someone to start is really helpful. So trying to make it perfect is a big, big one. A lot of times people feel like their experiences are no big deal. So when I'm telling them, you know, share some of your own experiences, they they like don't realize how important something was or how that story is going to sound for to other people. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah, no, I mean it just makes sense. Well, it happened to you and so it doesn't feel like a big deal. Right. But then when they tell it to you, you're like, no, this is actually this is a really moving story. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, there's this woman, I was doing a group catching coaching thing. So it's like, you know, we're on Zoom, it's like the Brady Bunch, nine people on the call, one in the yep. square. And I have to force her to tell a story. Force her. I'm like, Andrea you're required to go right now. She tells this story of being on a ski lift and this kid starts to fall off and like someone reached down and grabbed. I mean, we're talking about like Sylvester Stallone cliffhanger grabs him, <laughs> keeps him from falling. And everybody else on that Zoom call, like the other eight faces, our mouths are all dropped. Like our jaws are dropped. And she's, and she's just saying it like it's no big deal. Like, and then, yeah. And then the guy had to reach down and he, uh, he grabbed the kid who was falling. Like, she's saying it like that. Andrea, that was a huge deal. So that's another one where you're right. Like, because it happened to us, we forget that it mattered. And on a similar note, I guess something else would be forgetting what makes them special as a person. And I don't, I don't mean like, I don't mean like mama's little boy, you know, like mama will always love you. You're special. Like, that's not what I mean. I mean, that every single person, by the time they're getting on stage, like the reason they're on stage in the first place is because they're good at what they do. Like people don't get asked to go on stage unless it's open mic night, which is another thing. People <laughs> don't get asked to go on stage if they're not good at something or they're not like expert at this thing sure. they're talking about. And I can't tell you how many times people get intimidated by the moment and they, they forget the experiences that make them the right person to give the presentation at that time. Oh, so good. I actually, this is funny. I have a whole routine that I go through when I speak on a stage that helps me get through some of the, you know, like pre keynote jitters or nerves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of the things that I do is I tell myself over and over again, these people called me, they yeah. paid for my plane ticket and they're <laughs> paying me money to stand on the stage and speak to these people. It, like, it's just, you have to remind yourself that you're like, they actually really wanted me to be here. They're, this is not an accident. They were not confused. Like they found my website. They called me. They they purchased a plane ticket. They brought me here because they believed I had something to say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it wasn't like they typed Allie. They were trying to type Allie Gallon and got found. Oh, yeah. They're they just like, like, who's this girl? What's she doing on the stage? I don't know. Wait a minute. That's her? Yeah. yeah that doesn't happen. <laughs> That actually, yeah. you know, when we, when we spoke at Think Better, Live Better, that actually happened to me a little bit where, because I think I was the only one there who wasn't a published author. Oh, interesting. Because like Courtney Carver and Joshua Becker yeah, yeah, yeah. and you and Mark and Angel and all these people. And you were starting to have a little imposter syndrome or something. Well, in the back, I mean, this is so crazy, but like in the back of the room, there are those books for sale. I don't have anything to sell. 
Hmm. Granted, for a living, I give presentations, but like, as yeah. watching everyone else speak, I have this thought, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, oh, well, you know, like Mark and Angel, they were on the Today Show, and yeah, uh, Ali's written this many books, and da 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 so you start going down that road of like, oh, no. I'm not good at this, like, I, I should just ask to not speak, and in those moments, it's helpful when you have decided ahead of time, when you have like a, either a mantra or like what you have a routine where backstage you're reminding yourself, no, no, no. This is why I matter. This is why yeah. the subject matters. This is why they asked me here. Yep. That, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. I think you're, you're touching on another thing that really gets in people's way when it comes to finding their voice, which is comparing themselves to other yeah. people and thinking, you know, this person has this accomplishment or, or this skill set or whatever. And I need to totally. have that exact same thing if I'm ever going to make a difference or do something that matters. And, you know, I mean, the people who are the most memorable people in our lives, people who do things that disrupt industries and that uh, leave a legacy are always people who are off the beaten path. So let your freak flag fly, as my friend Kate would say. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't have to be that freaky either. No, it really doesn't. It can just be, it can just be a little, you know, it can just be a little quirky. Okay. So one thing I'm thinking of, I'm, I'm guessing there are a handful of people listening who know they have a book in them and who are thinking, I'd love to write a book and I'd love to get on stages someday and deliver a keynote. And then there's also probably a bigger handful of people listening who are thinking, I would rather poke my own eyeball out than get on a stage <laughs> and speak in front of people. But I really believe that it's, a, it's an important skill set to when you're in a group of people and when your name is called upon to be able to stand up and to to deliver a message, even if it's just at a PTA meeting or something with clarity and without letting the nerves get the best of you. And so I actually really would love to hear like, what are some of the techniques that you teach people for delivering a message? And some of those could be like, I know you're an expert in the storytelling part of it, but also just in the delivery on stage. So walk me through, like, what are some of the things that you teach your, your clients? Do you want like, um, here's how to calm down type stuff? Sure. Yeah. Let's do that. And then I also would love to touch on some of the storytelling pieces too. Yeah. Okay. I gave the greatest presentation of my life last year. So like September, 2018. And I was on the flight home. I was texting with uh, my friend, Jeff Goins and I was and he was asking me about it. And I was like, that was the great, like, I was, I was like, that was the greatest presentation I ever gave. Like, it felt so good. He's like, well, what made it so good? And I realized I was present with my audience. And that is the greatest gift that you can give to your audience is being present with them. But that can only happen if you know your stuff or you're comfortable making up stuff on the spot, which is like 0.2% of the population. Right. So that can only happen if you know your stuff if you know how to calm yourself down and you know that people are rooting for you. Mm. Knowing your stuff is before you get on stage. So a lot of times you'll hear that stat about public speaking being the number one fear. I get it. I also think that part of that is not public speaking. It's being unprepared. I think it's the same as if you weren't ready for a test. Wow. I mean, that's not all of it, but yeah, that's I think, for some of it. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think that's huge. Well, And I bet I would imagine what happens to people is they have so much anxiety about the presentation that they put off preparing. Big time. And so then they don't get enough time to prepare 
because they're avoiding that anxiety. And then the presentation comes and then all the anxiety that they were avoiding experiencing, they get all in one spell swoop right before they go on stage. And that's the kind of, by the way, that's the kind of body chemistry that literally deletes everything in your brain. Mm. I've had that experience before being on stage and just feeling like my brain just completely went blank. It's, it's terrible. So let's talk about that for a second because knowing how to calm yourself down in the middle of something is, is tough, but if you can do it, it's amazing. Mm. Picture your brain you're playing something on YouTube and your brain is the buffer part. And what you're saying out loud is like the big red circle. The disaster is when you have like the bad internet connection in your brain, which is to say the red button catches up to what's buffered. Like you absolutely need to know how to calm yourself down. But the problem is what most people do is because you can, you can feel that that's coming, right? Like if you're finishing up point A and you can't remember what point B is, you know, it's not like it just falls out of your brain. (laughs) when you were about to switch to it for whatever reason, most people will go faster to get to point B, even though they can't think of what it is anymore. Hmm. One of the things that I find myself telling people all the time is speak in short sentences, meaning seven to 10 words. And actually sentence isn't even the right word. Speak in seven to 10 word bits hmm. or bursts. Maybe bursts is the better word. Pause, start the next burst. I mean, if you can get used to pausing, uh, that's like half the battle, frankly. Sure. Most people feel like it's the most awkward thing in the world. And to the audience, they can't even tell. Well, and it sounds sort of natural to the audience, right? Because they're processing what you're saying, and we can only process so much at once. So when you take a meaningful pause, they have a minute to sit with what you just said. Totally. Yeah. And think of it, that's great. Yeah. And like, think of it another way. Picture old school people have a notebook and a pen in the audience. Pause so that they can catch up to what you're saying. Hmm. Pausing is, is one of the things that can help you the most. When I teach workshops on this, I will occasionally, this is incredibly awkward. <laughs> I will occasionally <laughs> make, everybody takes turns going to the front of the room they stare at the audience for 20 seconds without talking. Whoa. I'm like, that is the most awkward thing you will do today. But do you see that you survived? Yes. I don't do that all the time. It's only when it feels necessary. But all of this to say, Allie, like the thing that people don't talk about with public speaking is breathing. Mm. So your ability to, and I don't know, you can speak to this better than I can from a yoga perspective. Yeah. Like the ability to take calm breaths in the middle of doing something is immeasurable. Like that helps you immeasurably. I mean, and this is, this is a life skill, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> taking, taking a deep breath calms your amygdala, which is your fear response. So, you know, it, what it does is it helps you disconnect from the part of your brain. That's going to make an instinctual, like a, like a scared animal. It's going to make you make an instinctual response to something. And it helps you come back to your prefrontal cortex. That's actually going to help you make a more measured decision. So there's a, a great metaphor here because this is a tool to use in any part of our lives when we feel like we're being jerked around or bossed around by that fear part of our brain. But also when it comes to speaking in front of people, I'll say to people all the time, because I'll be just chatting with friends about 
speaking on a stage and they're like, oh, I could never do what you do. I have such stage fright. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, everybody does. I, I don't, I know so few people who don't truly have stage fright because you're short circuiting a very instinctual part of your brain that tells you not to go stand up in a vulnerable position Mm -hmm. in front of hundreds or thousands of people. So to be able to calm yourself and control that part of your brain and to make a measured decision in the midst of a really stressful situation is a great life skill to have in any part of your life. And, you know, in public speaking, it just happens to be necessary, but so let me, can I ask you a question yeah, about that? of course. Because you said deep breath. Does it have to be, especially if someone's mic'd up, you can actually hear them exhale sometimes. Sure. Is there, is there such thing as a medium breath that people can't hear? Does that make sense? Because that, that's actually what I found myself doing when, yeah. when I, and I, I don't get much stage fright, but when I do, I find myself doing like a medium breath to reset myself. But is that, is that just me or is that a thing? No, I think it's a thing. I would, if the way I would coach someone to do it is to take, is to count your in breath and count your out breath and make mm. your out breath just a little bit longer than your in breath because that mm. will slow your heart rate down. So if you can count to four on your in breath and then count to six on your out breath, and it can be a really quiet breath, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. I mean, yeah. if you're, when I'm backstage, I will do really loud, deep, not loud, but like deep breathing that you could hear if you were sitting next to me. And then as soon as you're mic'd up, you're right. You can't really, you do have to be careful about making too much noise, but just four, like a four count in and a six count out will slow your heart rate. And you can't train yourself to do that on stage because you can only do that when you're on stage, but you can train yourself to do that in regular life. Sure. And that would, that, that should show up when you're on stage, or at least it should be quicker to get back there. I would agree with you. I, I think when you train yourself for that to be the first response, when your body goes into its yeah. fear fear response, then it will be your first response no matter why yeah. that fear gets triggered. Yeah. Here's the greatest thing. When you fight back against that fear, suddenly you have so much power on stage. So true. And that's like the greatest feeling. Who are some of like the transformation stories that you've seen? People who like maybe battled through a massive stage fright and then are able to now be really effective public communicators. Well, the first one that jumps to mind, James Earl Jones, Darth Vader, had a stutter. Like he had all kinds of problems. He was made fun of growing up. Uh, Bill Walton, NBA announcer, also had a stutter and... I'm probably going to get this slightly wrong, but I think he said that his ability to speak in public means more to him than his basketball success, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Wow. I mean, those are two really good ones. There's this There's this guy, David Jones. It's <laughs> I tried to get him to work Pirates of the Caribbean into his... This is an actual person. It's not Pirates of the Caribbean. It's not the guy from the Monkees. His name's David Jones. He's a photographer. He contacted me... He showed me his talk from last year. I'm like, okay, well, walk me through, like, what's going on? What's going through your head? And he's like, I'm super nervous and couldn't sleep the night before. And I, and I can see it. Like, he's pacing on the stage. Mm. He's speaking in such a way where it's obvious to me that he's nervous that his brain is going to forget the information. Even though it's stuff he does every single day, he, he's acting as if there's an expiration date on the info in his brain. Wow. 
so we worked this year and I was like, Davey, here's the thing. Your brain is trying to go fast. You need to go slower. Like not slow. We're not trying molasses here, but take your time on stage. When you're telling a story, like enjoy telling the story. <laughs> when you're on stage, it's okay to walk. It's good to walk, but try to stay still at least half the time. Mm. And man, it was so awesome hearing him on the other end of it. He Now, part of it is I forced him to rehearse, but I said, what was it like the night before? He said, I slept like a baby. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's amazing. That's the greatest. Because everybody's freaked out the night before. Yeah. So I think I may have cut you off while you were talking about techniques. We talked about some techniques for calming oh, yeah. down, but I also would love for you to talk about some storytelling techniques I think this is going to translate really well to to those who are listening who are working on a writing project or yeah. who are just trying to get their story down on paper. Questions that we get all the time at Find Your Voice are like, how do I know what details of my story matter to a reader? How do yeah. I know which ones are boring? How do I know what to put in? How do I know what to leave out? Where do I start? Where do I finish? How do you help a client make those choices? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's the the macro story, which is the whole talk, and there's the The micro story, which is last night I went to dinner and this stuff happened. Mm. For the macro story, the the trap that people fall into is they try to include a bunch of stuff. And basically, you get to do one thing. It's different. I mean, if it's a two, four, six, eight-hour workshop, like that's different. But even then, everything needs to roll up into one statement. And you can get there pretty quickly. I'll give you a fill-in-the-blank. And basically, every single speech you ever give, you can just use this fill-in-the-blank We, meaning myself and the audience, we need to blank so that blank will happen. You can use that basically anytime. So on a macro level, that should help you figure out the North Star of the story. So give me an example of what that might look like. I'm trying to think of what, if I were doing a talk, what I would fill into those blanks. And by the way, you can change the phrasing on it slightly. But I, I would think for you, it's something like, we need to write down our feelings so that blank will, what would, what would blank will happen be? So we, can, we need to practice expressive writing so that blank will happen. Yeah, we can grow as people and, and have our, uh, the kind of impact we want to have in the world. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Okay, that's that's great. And then you can you can unpack, like, that's not the only thing you get to say in the talk, right? Like, you can unpack what impact in the world looks like. But you need that unifying statement or else you're just flinging a bunch of information at the audience and hoping they get it. So that becomes, that statement then becomes your filter for what you yeah. choose to yep. include in the talk and then what you choose to leave out. A hundred percent. And then... Now, hold on. I should clarify one thing. You can show the opposite of it. So you can show, you can show, here's what happens if you don't do expressive writing. Uh, got it. Yeah, that makes sense because that's the stakes in the story, right? That's, that's... Right, like, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about that a lot too. Like that all yep. is lost moment in a movie at the very end where the, you know, the sports team that you've been following this whole time, they're down by three points and there's yeah, like they might lose left and it seems like they're going to lose. Yeah. It, yeah. it helps the audience understand what's at stake. Right. Yeah. Um, builds all that good, healthy tension. That keeps exactly. Engaged. So on that note, can I talk about telling an actual story from stage? Yes, so this is what, and this is where there's like a pretty big difference between from stage versus in print. You can go into more detail in print. I will say that. Okay. And a story that you tell in print, one of the stories from your book, like how many pages does that take up? One, two, three pages? Yeah. Probably not three. Yeah. yeah. Three? 
I mean, it depends on the story, but yeah, I would say like in a, if you're telling a story that spans a chapter, it could be three or even four pages. Yeah. Right. 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 So that's, that's an eternity in a speech. Sure. Unless that's just, that's the world's best story. It's asking the audience to remember too much. Okay. So in a speech, a story should most likely be a minute or less. Okay. The amount of detail, because that's a good question. How much detail do you put in there? Putting a detail in there is wonderful. There are studies on the impact of just putting details like it was a Darth Vader toothbrush. Hmm. Or she was wearing Argyle socks that day. Okay. He had a he had a pocket full of quarters because he was going to get buffalo wings. Like one memorable detail for the audience to hold on to. Yeah. One memorable detail, exactly. But when you start adding too many in, I mean, we've all been there for someone who's not good at telling stories, right? And that person tells a story, and this is how it sounds. They're like, I remember I was wearing Argyle socks that day, and I was drinking a lemonade. And you're sitting there, and you're listening. You're like, okay, so Argyle socks, (laughs) that's going to matter later in the story. Yeah. Often it doesn't matter. Well, and this is uh, how we tell stories when we're mingling at cocktail parties too, right? Because right. You're, you're just kind of stream of consciousness, like remembering the details yeah. as they come to you and not thinking like, well, I'm placing this detail here because I'm going to come back around to it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And most of us don't rehearse stories because we experience, this is what happens to you. So I'm telling a story from stage. I never rehearsed it because to me, I already experienced the story. I know it's a good story. So there's nothing that, there's nothing that I can add to it that m- turns it into a bad story. Sure. And it's actually kind of fun to remember, like, I was drinking lemonade. Oh, I totally forgot. Yeah. And Caroline, my friend from study abroad, called me that day. Yeah. Like, it's kind of fun to remember that. But for the audience, it's like, that's it's so distracting. Totally. And you're, you're having this experience with yourself, and it's not actually serving the audience. Right. Right. So it's like add in a detail, maybe two, but that's, that's the amount of detail that you need. And one of the other things that happens a lot in stories is too many characters. If you are telling a story out loud, you get probably three characters and you were one of them. So, I mean, it's possible to go more than that, but it's, it's just tricky. You're asking the audience to hold on to a lot of stuff. And especially if all the characters have names. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, and then my friend Don walked in. <laughs> Don is this guy who, right, like, that's just way too much. In a book, someone yeah. can go back and reread it if they lost track of who Don is. Yeah. But one other thing that I do love from stage is if you can, and this is where there's, like, so much power. This is where if someone is a good writer and they can speak from stage, they are, like, the most powerful presenter in the world. Because if you can give a one-line description of a character that instantly lets us know who that person is, that does so much for the story. There are two examples I give a lot. One is, uh, I'm thinking of actual people with this, but my friend Sarah, if I was telling a story with my friend Sarah in it, I'd say, Sarah is the type of person who eats quinoa as her cheat meal. (laughs) (laughs) It's like instantly you know who that person is. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. But again, like that has to factor into the story. Perfect. Because if it doesn't matter, you know what I mean? Like if it doesn't matter that she's healthy, if if that's not used for something that happens in the story or as irony, because all of a sudden she eats a cheeseburger, then, then that doesn't, that okay. detail doesn't matter. So what I'm hearing you say the, to sum it up 
essentially when you're communicating on stage, you have to be much more careful with the details you select than even you have to be in writing. You also have to be careful and you have to be really selective, but speaking from stage, you're going to have to be even more, even more careful. Yeah. And I also think the other thing I want to say here, because I think this is an important point that there we've touched on this a few times, not just today, but in other interviews we've done, there's this element to finding your voice that also involves seeing how the words I use have an impact on another person. Mm. So my voice, you know, I think we get this idea in our head that like, once I discover my true self, I'm just totally myself wherever I go. And I'm, (laughs) and I'm exactly the same, you know, no matter where I am and people just have to deal with it kind of thing. And, and what I always, what we talk about with writing is right. Like you, the way you communicate to your grandmother is different than how you communicate with your best friend. And that doesn't mean that you're not being authentic to yourself. It just means that we have to consider the hearer, the listener, when, when we're communicating in order to create that connection. And I think discovering who we are, having our impact on the world, leaving a legacy, creating change in the world with our words, we have to be considering how are my words having an impact and how can I be more strategic and careful with my words? Not care, like careful is the wrong word, but like how can I be more strategic with my words? Purposeful. Yeah. Well, I want to wrap up today, Mike, with two questions that I always ask. One is we talk a lot about how words can have such an incredible impact in the world. They're one of the most powerful ways to create change in our personal lives and in our communities and in the wider world. I'm curious if there is someone out there, someone whose words have had a positive impact in your life. So a book that you can think of that has had a transformative impact for you or a public speaker, someone who you really admire whose words have had an impact on you. Oh, totally. Okay. So public speaker, Andy Stanley, I I love his word choice. I love the way he tells stories. I love the way that he uses tension in his storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's so, so good. So Andy Stanley's that. Writing-wise, Mindy Kaling. Oh, yes. I love the care that she puts into her essays. I love how she manages to be funny and insightful at the same mm-hmm. time. She is so, so She's good. She's great. She has a great thing on rom-coms where <laughs> my friend Mindy started dating an architect, and I'm like, What? Like, nobody in the world is an architect. That only happens in rom-coms. And I realized I was just citing Mindy Kaling's that that in one of her books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, final question. If you had to put your legacy into words, into just a couple sentences, what would you say? <sighs> Mike, apparently I'd talk in third person. <laughs> Mike, Mike helped people say what they needed mm. to say. He helped them become who they were meant to be. And he never purposefully wronged anybody. He managed to make time for people, even though he was secretly exhausted. (laughs) You're a new dad too. So you, you really are, I'm sure. (laughs) Actually, let me say it a different way, Allie. This is, this is actually better. Uh, When I met my wife, we didn't, you know, in the movies, you're like, you have sparks Mm -hmm. right away and you're like, can't you get home? You're like, I can't wait to call her. In real life for us, it was five minutes that were okay, <laughs> maybe even a tinge awkward. And I was like, eh, should I call her? And uh, my friend who set us up, I asked, for, I asked her to give me Jess's number. And then I saw her last name. 
her dad had, had worked at our church and I never got to know him, but I, I knew of his reputation and I, I felt like if she's, uh, she's anything like her dad, then she's probably worth mm. the chance. And she was. Wow. So uh, I think that's a pretty good I legacy. Love that. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that, Mike. Well, thank you yeah. so much for taking time to be with us today. Thanks for sharing your words and your wisdom uh, with us. It, really so grateful. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.